Welcome to the Employee to Entrepreneur podcast. This is the show specifically for aspiring entrepreneurs with families who want to escape their nine to five and kill their job. So if you're looking to get out of the rat race while keeping food on the table for your family in the process, then you're in the right place. I made this show for you because I am you. I'm your host, Brendan Ryan, and today I'm joined by my guest, Jonathan Green, who is a marketing and paid ads expert, and together we'll be addressing the question of timing when it comes to starting up your side hustle or your business venture, and how to leverage paid ads to grow it. Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, Jonathan, you're... Official degree is in statistics, but you're a Facebook ads OG. You got started way back in the day. Um, How did you stumble into that? How did you find yourself doing online paid ads? Yeah, it's an an interesting story. story. I actually have an MBA as well, by the way. Um, I got my MBA first, actually. So more of a generalist business degree and marketing was a big part of that. But no, um, I was in the military and all of my undergraduate work was done in criminal justice. Um, and I really thought, you know, I was going to spend my life kicking down doors and, you know, serving high risk warrants and stuff like that. Cause that's what I was into. But, um, I got hurt really badly in Iraq, um, and was laid up for a while. And, um, you know, during that time, I think my wife sort of got, you know, tired of me feeling sorry for myself and got me a laptop and was like, find something to do. So I did, I started, um, I started with Photoshop and just designing, Um, and you know, for better or for worse, I was okay at that. So people started asking me to design websites. So I did. And then the next most logical question was how do we get traffic to the website? So uh, I started messing around with early versions of Facebook ads, um, and Google search ads, like pretty early on in the process. So, and, uh, eventually, you know, I I went back to work in security for a while because I was doing security and counterintelligence work in the military. And I just didn't like it. So uh, after I got my MBA, I just, yeah, I, I got an internship at a marketing firm called Mech Labs, which is a very uh, cerebral, you know, process-based consulting company that focuses on CRO. Um, and that was my sort of foot in the door. And I, I've been doing it ever since. CRO is conversion rate optimization for anybody listening. So on the topic of MBAs, how, helped, how helpful did you find that degree to be when you got started you know, playing around with online businesses. Yeah. Um, it's more like a, an extended vocabulary lesson to me, you know, just being able to work with the terms, um, understanding, you know, the time value of money and principles of economics, price elasticity of demand, all that stuff was very important, but I, I honestly not sure I learned anything in the MBA program that I couldn't have learned watching Shark Tank, you know, um, it's just, you know, you know how it is. it's just it's one of those things you got to, check that box if you want to play in that arena. So you know, that's the honest to God mm-hmm. truth. Though. I'm not sure it was super helpful other than acquiring the vocabulary of a business leader. You know, Yeah. It seems like so many people say something along those lines when it comes to MBA specifically, but increasingly so when it comes to college degrees in general, I think anymore, unfortunately, but your wealth of knowledge when it comes to marketing, especially um, which is, you know, the broader umbrella about what you do with paid yeah. ads. 
online. How did you learn all about that? Um, well, like I said, I was lucky. My first gig in marketing other than the freelance stuff I was doing for designing websites was with a company called Mech Labs, and they had um, a conversion rate heuristic. And a heuristic, if you don't know, is just a mental model. It's expressed like an equation, but it's not math. You don't solve it. It's just a, like if you once you memorize it, you remember the steps, for instance, for MechLab's conversion heuristic, the steps to optimize a landing page is what that's all about. And so very early on, I, I got into that as an intern um, and sort of appreciated the mindful methodology of it, if that makes sense, as opposed to so much of what happens in marketing groups and, you know, on the internet, when you try to research marketing is best practices, which are interesting, but irrelevant in the vast majority of situations, because they tend to work extremely well for one specific niche or vertical and not at all for everyone else. And so it's kind of a chaotic mess of best practices. And I just appreciated the sort of cerebral thought out model that Mech Labs was using to do their work. And so I set about really creating intellectual property like that around that sort of trope, that concept um, of mental modeling. And that's and so everything that I've learned between then and now, the vast majority of it has been as a result of experimentation, um, like setting up scientifically driven experiments with real hypotheses and trying to drive them to an empirical conclusion. So the benefit of that is that I know what I know. I'm not guessing. Right. It's like. I know this is scientifically valid and proven. And so over the years, you know, you just assimilate one learning after another. And then if you do it right and keep track of it and, and ideate on it and, you know, use it, then at some point in time, you just become very knowledgeable, I suppose, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's when the knowledge really sticks to you too. Yeah. Um, there's a pyramid out there of like the learning period based pyramid basically it's something along the lines of if you hear something you only retain like less than 10 percent of it but if you actually do the thing and especially if you teach the thing like you do you retain almost all of it so makes very makes a lot of sense so it's something like mex labs was a very foundational thing for you and you were able to take that and build upon it make it yeah. better well their, their heuristic there. was specific to landing pages my heuristic Okay. Um, you know, the green conversion heuristic is for all marketing collateral related to conversion science. So you can improve ad copy with it, landing pages. Um, you can improve video scripts. You can improve anything with it. So mine's more holistic, um, but theirs was the OG, you know, like the original model, you know, right. the original ingredients that I learned that helped me put together green's heuristic, conversion heuristic, which is, like I said, more broadly applicable. So. Would you mind walking us through the Green's conversion heuristic? Not at all. So the, the essential components of it um, are value, cost, and acceptability, right? Um, value and cost, and, and let me first, let me back up and explain for a minute, perhaps, so people will have a better perspective on this. But um, the purpose of the conversion heuristic is to be able to improve the conversion outcomes of any marketing campaign from the ad to the landing page, uh, to the copy, to the video script, whatever it is that conversion collateral that you have working, the idea is that once you memorize this formula, you'll be able to improve any of that at will. Um, and so there are a few key components um, in there. Um, and the formula reads M, which stands for marketing effectiveness, 
equals V minus C uh, or value minus cost times acceptability. And again, it's not math. You're not really meant to solve it in that way. Um, but the first, there really are two parts to the, to the heuristic. V minus C is what we call the value differential. And this is what happens in the mind of any consumer when they're in the process of making a conversion decision. They first say, is this for me? Um, is it believable? Do I like these people? Does it seem legit? That's acceptability, right? And then the, the sort of mental construct that follows is, do I find it more valuable than the associated cost, right? And if so, if I find whatever the product is to be more valuable than the cost associated with it, then I will convert if I find it acceptable. And if I don't find the value to outweigh the cost, I will not convert. Um, and it's a fairly simple construct, but we really get into it um, in, in terms of breaking down value and cost and acceptability. So there are a lot of sub factors. Uh, for instance, value is composed of appeal, like do I want it? Exclusivity, where else can I get it? Clarity, how well do I understand it? Incentive, what else is in it for me, right? So that's those are the components of value. And then cost is composed of mental cost. How difficult is this going to be? Fiscal cost, how much money do I have to exchange for it? And then time cost, how long is this going to take or how frustrating is it? Um, and so, and then acceptabilities in the same sort of vein consists of credibility, which is how much do I believe you? Affinity, how much do I like you? And the overall attention or disruptiveness of the campaign and the creative, which is how well does this garner my attention, right? So putting all those subcomponents together, um, and we've tested it now with, I would reckon, uh, dozens of millions of dollars of ad spend. Um, and if you apply it effectively, um, it, it works. It produces increased conversion rates uh, across the board. So, you know, that's it's just a very logical, cerebral, rigid, scientific approach to marketing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's great. It's very all encompassing too, because it's not just for paid ads. You could conceivably apply that to any type of marketing endeavor, right? Yeah. Um, even anything that you would like for people to take action on, if it's an action oriented mm -hmm. advertising initiative, this will work um, in that context. It doesn't have to be paid ads. I use it all the time for hyper organic campaigns, um, for email campaigns. It works pretty much across the board on conversion collateral. So, and the reason why is because it, un it represents the underlying principles of psychology that cause people to convert and the underlying tenets of conversion science that cause people to convert. So rather than teach people a bunch of best practices, which may or may not work in your specific construct, we teach the underlying principles that allow you to synthesize best practices and generate them because of conversion marketing principle. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. But you mentioned something about anything for using it for anything that you want people to take action on. So is, what would be an example of something that you wouldn't necessarily want somebody to take action on? Is that like brand awareness? Yeah, branding um, in top of mind type objectives um, and, and to some greater or lesser extent, um, positioning, brand positioning type initiatives don't really require that conversion impetus and therefore this information probably would not be as useful. But the minute you start, like, so to give you an example, Coca-Cola would not need the conversion heuristic. They already have established 
you know, category dominance and their whole marketing effort is about remaining top of mind. I really have nothing to do with that. I can't really help with that. Right. But the minute mm -hmm. that they launch a new product that needs to win market share, now I can help. Right. So if they were to launch a new flavor and they wanted to gain market share, conversion heuristic does that, but it doesn't do the branding stuff like the top of mind awareness stuff. You know what I mean? Which I think they did do at one point. Didn't they come out with new cokes? Yeah. Like, a couple of decades yeah, was back. Ill advised. That was one of the worst advertising campaigns in history. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was wrong with it, if you recall? It didn't need to be changed. Um, nobody was clamoring. So when we start talking about products um, and we start talking about positioning products, they have to be, if you want to gain market share, if you want to win demand um, in the demand generation marketing vertical, those products or services have to be an answer to a problem that people are having, right? So, in, and you, you've been through the course, Heman X, and we teach empathy mapping and, and problem genesis, right? So go figure out who your avatar is and then figure out what problems are they really experiencing in real time in their day-to-day -day life. And if your product or service mm -hmm. can be aligned as an alleviation to the pain that a consumer is experiencing, they're gonna buy it. And if it can't, you don't have a product. Like you have a nice articulation that nobody cares about, right? And so that's what Coca-Cola got wrong is they created a solution to a problem that nobody was having. Um, you know what I mean? And then they tried to replace Coca-Cola with new Coke. Why? New unto what? New solving what categorical issue? It just wasn't a real product. You know, it didn't have any demand, you know, latent demand because it didn't solve any real problem. So. Yeah, it's almost like they assumed that people got bored of Coke or something and they wanted, because generally speaking, new stuff does perform well. Like it kind of mm -hmm. captures the attention of people. But yeah, people, they have such brand awareness and in such a stake in the market that people love their Coke and it's yeah. almost something that they're addicted to. In new a products way, so. and services yeah. are great for expanding market share and cross promoting into different, perhaps expanded demographics than what your core brand engages with. But Creating new products that are going to cannibalize your existing engagement with your customer base is a fool's errand. Like, why would you do that? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. So they just didn't make sense. So, Right. It's almost like you had, you rolled out like a yoga company and you had a yoga mat that you just killed it and everybody loved it. And you introduced <laughs> other products too, like a water bottle or something like that. That would be a new product. But to go back and introduce a new yoga mat, might flop because it, it, it's not what killed it to begin with. Right. It's not what everybody wanted to begin with. Yeah. 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 It's a great example or to try to cross promote it ineffectively. Like these yoga mats are dope. So let me create, you know, meditation mats. Like, hold on, buddy. Nobody asked you, you know what I mean? That's not what we're here for. You know what I mean? So you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. So, okay. So you, you had this foundation, the marketing, um, and you developed your own conversion heuristic and I saw that eventually you you opened up your own clothing line targeted at like the Florida man. Yeah. Is that right? Um, I was just I was seeing a lot of Florida man memes. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on Facebook because of what I do for a living. And I was just seeing a ton of them and it was starting to be a thing like Florida man does this Florida man does that. And I thought to myself, yeah, if I put that on a T-shirt, I bet everybody would buy it. Um, and so I did. So I, I just, you know, I'm like I said, I have the design chops because I've been working on that since I got out of the military. So um, I drew up some designs and uh, 
I just channeled my inner Florida man. And we came up with, you know, several that really hit and picked up big market share. Like, it just sort of illustrates what it's like to be a Floridian. So like Florida man uses dead shark for a beer bong. You know, like I drew an illustration of what that might look like and put it on a T-shirt. And then Florida man takes human skull to Publix, you know, like had to had to do that one. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we knocked out nine or ten of those. Uh, Florida man fights with bear and lives to tell the story, you know. And so we created nine or ten of those and they started um, selling really very well. And then um, it took off a bit. And that was actually my second clothing company. Um and I, I just ended up selling it. And uh, uh, somebody who runs a print shop bought all the designs and, and the intellectual property. And I made 50 Gs on it and walked out into the sunset. So life was good. So it seems like you also capitalized on a trend. So you had the timing just right, too. Yeah. You noticed that there's a bunch of memes coming out and you were able to, to capitalize and act somewhat quickly or get in early. Because if you were to try to do the same thing now, it might not right. do as well because you don't don't see it as much i'm sure it's still out yeah. there but it seemed like it was a bit more popular i don't know what was it a few yeah. years ago and that's the second or third time i've done it too um like i created a clothing company when i was in graduate school that pretty much paid for graduate school um it was called hooligan clan and um it's it was a it was for tattoo heavily tattooed people i i know you can't tell but i have lots and lots of tattoos and you know the ball-headed biker look so what we did there was and, and this happened because I overheard a conversation between friends. Um, this was back when the, um, what was the brand that had like the really over-designed shirts? Affliction. Remember that? That's when they, that's when they yeah. were out and, and real heavy. And guys were like, yeah, but I mean, it's overdone. I don't want to wear all that. I just want a simple black shirt with a design on it that I like. And I was like, and I heard that. I overheard it in conversation. So I went and I had a buddy who was really good at drawing things. He's a tattoo artist. And so I said, look, draw me nine or 10, you know, traditional, neo-traditional tattoo outlines like Ed Hardy, but without the colors. So it's just line work, just line art. And he did. And I put them on black t-shirts, white line art on black t-shirts. And they sold like crazy. And I made enough money to pay for graduate school. So, um, and then nice. at another point in time, um, I had actually created a product. It was an app. It was called um, Magic Obama. And this was I created because um, when, when, when it was clear that Obama was going to be elected, um, some of the conservatives in my life were highly, highly upset with this eventuality um, and very frustrated. So what I did is I created a little cartoon animation of Obama on a cell phone app where you could shake the app and you go, ah, and then he would spit out like a random platitude from one of his speeches. So it was like a magic eight ball, but when you shook it, the you know, Obama was like, ah. um, and you know, it made wow. a few grand on that. Just, and that's all basically the concept is trend jacking, right? Where you just yeah. hear something or see something in real time and you decide to take advantage of it and leverage it. And it's actually a great tip for improving your conversion campaigns as well. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was Easter weekend, right? Um, this past weekend, if I was selling anything at all, I'm having an Easter sale. You know what I mean? Same thing with the 4th of July, same yeah. thing with, you know, Thanksgiving, same thing with Black Friday. And you should have a, a promotional cycle that aims to trend jack everything. Um, and I used to run ads. So, for instance, we used to run ads 
for one of those companies with a flag on the shoulder. I'm not going to mention them, um, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, you know, with the tightly fitting athletic shirts and the American flags on the shoulder. There, there are four or five of them, but I trust you can figure it out. And we did a lot of trend jacking in that company as well. Like we would create T-shirts over campaign slogans that were spit out over the weekend um, and print them up and they would sell, you know. And so trend jacking is very powerful for for uh, leveling up your conversion marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about it is that maybe with the exception of the, the Obama app, that you also targeted consumers that you were also a member of that group. Yeah. It's kind of that startup idea of scratch your own yeah. niche makes the market reach portion of it a lot easier because you already knew, know who that guy is because you are. Right. That guy. They say your mess right? is your message. Um, I, I don't know. That's one of those platitudes that I make jokes about, but um, in some ways it's true. Right. So I understand um, certainly um, want the desire for clothing that's not overdone for tattooed people that's high quality and doesn't use Gildan 5000 shirts that are just like boxes with sleeves, but actual like high end apparel, you know, that's well designed and, and done by local artists. And certainly I would appreciate that as a consumer. And I'd understand that. And then same thing. I am a Florida man. So like, you know, I, I have all the, yeah. the inherent contradictions of a Florida man and the wild behavior in my background and all that. So I get it and I can, I'm in a good position to understand it and celebrate it. Um, and I think, you know, nice. creating things that, that you like and that you understand empowers you as an entrepreneur to the point that you, you should, mm -hmm. can and should know everything about that target market, you know, um, that's and that empathy that you get from doing that is obviously central to the process that I teach and you can vouch for that having been through it. So, so did you, did you do these ventures while you were also, also working another I did, job? Yeah. Um, for the most part I do, my claim to fame is okay. I'm probably pretty good at marketing. Um, probably pretty good at writing, pretty good at teaching, but my claim to fame is I can do nine jobs at once. Um, and it doesn't, and it doesn't wow. bother me. I don't get stressed out. I, I leverage tools that help me do it like artificial intelligence and things of that nature. Um, in the past I've leveraged VAs very effectively, um, you know, to get a lot of work done. And so I can do those sorts of things without stressing myself out. And I, I don't know that it's fair for everybody else to expect to be able to do what I've done. It's just my gift, you know? Like I can just do nine things right. at one time and do them all well. Um, and most people can't. And so I always like to say I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none, but, but I really, when it comes to productivity and output, I can, I can thrash 90% of human beings in my ability to do 10 things at once and have them all be good. You know, it definitely seems like there are some people that are just more inclined to be able to systematize things and use integrations like Zapier or, or VAs or AI to make things easier and automate things, essentially. Is that kind of what you're getting at? You're pretty good at that, too. Yeah. Even to this day, I have my own client list. Uh, you know, I work at HemanX as a lead instructor. So I run HemanX and I do all of the social media production for Heman Media. So all the groups and all the pages, I, I make all the videos and do all the training and all of that. And, and I'm not stressed out in the least i've you know still have plenty of time to go to the gym every day and hang out with my kids and you know it's just about leveraging technology and 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 the more you do it and the more you endeavor to do it i think you 
become more efficient at certain aspects, you know, um, like I used to, it used to take Absolutely. me a really long time to write ad copy, for instance, because I would second guess myself and go through it with a fine tooth comb. And now I'll spit it out and I'll know as soon as it hits the page that, yeah, this is good and it's going to convert and I don't need to spend any more time on it, you know? And so things like that help, I think, but that's, you know, 15 years of practice basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, you mentioned spend time with the kids. I, I was going to ask about your family too, especially because you brought up being able to do nine things at once and being able to leverage technology to do that. I've said in some of my short form content that I think it's never been easier or a better time to start a business because you can use so many of those things like VAs mm -hmm. or AI or Zapier, or, I mean, you can spin up an LLC by going on legal zoom right now and have it be ready to go within a few days. Mm -hmm. I don't think ever in history has it been so easy to set up businesses <clears throat> in that way yeah. um, and automate them. Like to your point is what you're saying. So did, was that something that you also slowly learned over time? Like, have you always been kind of on top of the AI trend and the using the VAs? Like when did you start using the VAs? Um, VAs I started using when I, when I really wanted to become a freelancer that could manage nine or 10, you know, um, accounts at a time and, and make, you know, four or 500 grand a year, just by myself, the, I really started leveraging VAs for that. Um, because they can do all of the menial tasks, reporting, communication tasks, et cetera, and feed them back to me. Um, and that was sort of the first construct that I used to really boost my productivity. But once AI became a thing, I was, I was very early on into experimenting and using like Jasper and those kinds of systems. Um, but I got to tell you, man, in the last six months with chat GPT, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a superhuman now in terms of what I can produce um, and the quality of it. And the better I get at prompting it and teaching it, the better it gets at outputting things that I'm proud of and don't have to really touch too much. Um, and it's been a, a, just a boon, a windfall of time and, and, you know, outcomes for what I'm doing. It's just super powerful. And to the point that I'm actually thinking about shifting all of my energy away from conversion marketing and into artificial intelligence because it ain't going anywhere. It's going to be a thing. Um, and I think that the people who leverage it most effectively will be the people who gain market share. Um, you know, everybody's all, I think you guys have watched a little too much Terminator, to be honest with you. Like people look at AI and they go, oh God, this is scary. And I look at it and go, this could be a golden age for humanity. Like this thing could be doing yeah. my work for me while I play golf, you know. Um, and I'm okay with that for one. So I'm going to figure out how to leverage it and be, you know, get the first mover advantage on it and be that guy, you know, definitely. I, I've been trying to remind myself to play around with ChatGPT a little bit more. I've used it for some things, but I'm not in there every day prompting it. And I've noticed just in a little bit that I've used it, that I, I am getting a little bit better about what to expect from certain prompts and how specific mm -hmm. to be and all that kind of thing. So just a point of clarification, if you're listening and wondering what VAs are, I should have clarified on that. It's a virtual assistant. It's essentially somebody you can hire on certain websites from other countries. And say, for instance, like the Philippines, India, Pakistan, that kind of thing. And pay, paying them about five bucks an hour or something like that. 
sounds very menial, very um, insulting to an American, but it's actually a solid wage for them. And so you're able to, to use them for the menial tasks um, that might take up a lot of your time. So that's a, that's a great way to get a lot off your plate and automate things that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. But it can be difficult if you've never done it before and you're starting from scratch because you have to manage humans, yeah. right? Yeah, so, my best advice on that um, is to just really have an understanding of what your workload is and, and a sort of awareness of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Like if you, if you interview the average entrepreneur and, and force them to try to articulate what they do in a day, they don't have any idea. And if that, you know, if that's you, you're not ready for a VA. Like you need to not only know what you do in a day, you need to know what you're doing in a day that's below the level of focus and intent that you'd like to operate at, you know, there's a contextual switching, right. Of going from strategic level tasks to tactical level tasks to menial upkeep level stuff is extremely taxing on your mind and therefore taxes your efficiency. So I, I, you know, take everything that I know that I have to do in a day, apply Pareto's principle to it. 20% of those things are going to result in 80% of the outcomes that I'd like to achieve. I will personally do that 20%, you know, and the other, you know, 80% I will outsource or, or task to mm -hmm. an AI or do whatever. Um, and that's the key to being able yeah. to work five jobs at one time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I, I try to apply Pareto's principle to my life as much as possible, but I haven't really thought of it that way as that other 80% of stuff that maybe aren't moving the needle enough. I should be trying to outsource. I like that a lot. That yeah. makes sense. Some of it you should probably just cancel, you know, mm -hmm. turn Pareto's principle around the other way. And 20% of that stuff isn't going to produce any results at all. And you should yeah. just kill it, you know? Um, but yeah, definitely being able to outsource and manage the 60 or so percent, you know, th that's the key, I think, to massive productivity. Yeah. And so to bring it back to something you said earlier about your family, um, spending time with the kids and all that kind of thing, especially using <clears throat> technology to be able to do so. Was it ever difficult for you when you had the job and you were trying to do one of those business ventures that you mentioned and you had the family to, for lack of a better word, balance all that? And if so, was automation the answer for you or were you able to just adapt over time or how do you think you coped with that? I mean, I think there are moments when things align in such a way that it makes it chaotic and hectic, um, but they're fleeting, especially if you're good at organizing things. Um, so I don't know that I really hit the wall too many times. And when I do hit the wall, it's one of those like, who do you want to be kind of moments you know, there really isn't any automating that away when you when you've overstepped your your stride and you've taken on more than you should have. And now it's all lined up on a Thursday and you got to just spend 18 to 20 hours working. Sometimes you got to spend 18 to 20 hours working, you know, but I would say that's not been the balance of my experience. But balance of my experience is, you know, is that I can probably work three jobs and for the most part, they don't significantly overlap or caused me to detract from the quality of one or the other of them, you know, and I, some of that, like I said, is just my gift. It's mm -hmm. what I'm gifted at. And some of it is systems and, you know, workload management and things of that nature. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody that's not inclined to taking massive action and, and working a lot should look into entrepreneurship, even though that we have mm -hmm. that four hour work week, 
kind of a BS um, thing that's out there that everybody thinks is the case. I think so many people expect it to be something that is going to be quick and you're going to have four hour work weeks or whatever. But I said this in the last episode that if you shouldn't, the four hour work week shouldn't be the goal anyway. the, The goal should be finding something that you want to work on and for 40 plus hours a week that you're passionate sure. about, you know? Yeah. I've gotten it down to 40, you know, hours a week. I, I don't know that I could get it down to four or that I would want to, like, what would I even do with myself? You know, <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like I gotta, I can't be idle. Yeah. Um, and so I do think on some level, I understand what Tim Ferriss was going for when he wrote the four hour work week, but it's just become a buzzword mm-hmm. for people who, who really have unrealistic expectations about, the entrepreneurial experience. And there probably are businesses that you can run on four hours a week, and there probably would be an acceptable level of income to pay your bills, et cetera. But I'm also not trying to have just enough to to lay on the beach all day, right? I'm trying to build something. So um, for me, four hours a week has never been an imperative. It's always been like, well, if I'm not doing this, what else am I going to do? So, yeah. And and to clarify, I know that there are people that do pretty much that, right? Like we were just talking about using VAs to run an Amazon store or something like that. And you just kind of manage the VAs and the Amazon store pumps out 10 plus K a month or whatever. And you just hang out. And so there are some people like that. I just don't think that that should be the goal for most people. Like you should find something that you're passionate about and really want to want to work on and add value to them. It's interesting because I think the first, when you first break out of corporate life, and into the entrepreneurial construct. Um, and you're, you're like taking your side hustle and turning it into a business for the first time. And you're serious about it. The obvious objective is money. And and it's because you're coming from a place where you're scared and, you know, you, you've been hands to mouth because there isn't really any other way to be in corporations. Um, cause they just aren't going to pay you your value. They're just not. Um, and so you've been, you might have saved a little money and squirreled a little something away, but if you didn't get a paycheck for a month, you'd be in trouble, right? That's most people who are starting out on the entrepreneurial path. And so their desired outcome is money, and that totally makes sense to me. And then the longer you go and the more you do, um, the more that your your focus shifts. And to the point that now I can honestly say I don't even, you know, to a greater or lesser extent, don't even think about money anymore. I think about impact. I think about Am I moving people? Am I changing things? Am I, am I, am I Godzilla in a kiddie pool? You know, like Mm -hmm. I want to be, you know, I want to be impactful. Um, I want to, I want to be happy. I want to be self-actualized. So we move up, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like when, when I first quit my job or left the military and started freelancing and doing my own stuff, it was like those base level, you know, safety and security housing, a roof over my head, can I feed the children kind of needs. And then as, as you have a little bit of success, it's now it's self-esteem that I'm working for. And now mm-hmm. it's self-actualization. And now it's like, now I'm trying to have an impact on the world around me, you know? And so we ascend that hierarchy, that hierarchy over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're making an impact teaching people in the Hemanx program. Let's talk about that a little bit. How did you get teamed up with the Heman Media Group and start doing that? Uh, yeah, funny story. So I was the CMO of Traffic and Funnels um, 
back in the day, most of your listeners probably will know Taylor Welch and Chris Evans and have some perspective on what Traffic and Funnels is. Um, so I was the CMO there, and I actually hired an intern, young guy, um, who wanted to learn the ins and outs of conversion marketing and media buying. Uh, very, very smart, very clever kid. Came in and worked real hard. Some some guy by the name of Ashton Shanks. Um, so I actually hired him as a as an intern. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, now now Ashton Shanks is a monster, you know, and he's turned into probably the conversion marketer of the decade so far. Um, and human media is is probably the place um, to go if you need, you know demand generation conversion marketing. Um, and so anyway, long story short, I hired him on at Traffic and Funnels and we became friends. And then when he eventually left Traffic and Funnels to start the Heman Group, he hired me on. And I came in and I was the head of media buying at the agency and helped him develop a lot of the you know intellectual property and the construct that he uses to this day in the agency. Um, and I brought the conversion heuristic with me. So I had the intellectual property on that, but I needed the money to test it and prove it. And so we partnered on it um, and he helped me improve the conversion heuristic. And he spent a lot of human media's money on testing it. Um, and so we sort of, I guess you would call it, a, we have a partnership, you know. Um, and so I teach human media, I teach human X because it's the most rewarding thing that I do in my week. is just helping people grow their businesses and learn about a very difficult, very nuanced craft. Um, and to watch people really get better at it in real time is so rewarding, man. It's like the best thing that I do. So that's why I do it. I can see why that would be really rewarding. You're talking about something you love. You're helping people better their business, better themselves. Makes total sense. So mm -hmm. I, and one thing I want to point out, like, because I, I think the name is cool, he, the Heman Media Group. Like when I first heard of it, I didn't. I was like, "What is Heman?" That just seems so random. Like, right? They just where they get that name from? But um, do you want to tell them what it means? Yeah, it's, uh, Heman's actually the name of the head architect of the Pyramids of Giza, um, and so that's where the name comes from. Um, we our tagline is to be the architects of direct response, right? And so that's kind of, that's a, it's a great name because it's, it's cerebral. Um, and it's, it sort of speaks to who we are as marketers. Like we do take a sort of literal, I just finished writing a book with Ashton that's going to be out pretty soon. Um, and in it, we unpack a metaphor of architecture as like the base of conversion marketing, like building upon a solid foundation. That's a research and understanding who you're talking to, that's all the terra firma, right? And then the pillars that we use to build upon are value and cost and acceptability. And so it really is an architectural metaphor and it really effectively explains who we are and what we're trying to do. Um, and to be fair, I had nothing to do with coming up with the name. That's all Ashton. Um, but I like the name because I'm a Freemason. So I, I enjoy the, you know, the esoteric quality of it. It's very cool. I like it a lot. Um, so, so Ashton is the one that actually like left traffic and funnels and then started human media group or did, cause I know that he was also like CEO or something of traffic and funnels too. Yeah, he is now. Or, or so we, he and I both worked at traffic and funnels. I left traffic and funnels when he was just getting started. And then he spent the next couple of years after I left being the director of marketing for them. I don't think they 
replaced the CMO after I left. I think they went to a director and Ashton was that guy for a while. Um, and he left Traffic and Funnels to start Human Media, but I had already left and had been gone for a year or two. And I was just doing, you, you know, my own sort of freelancing engagements, media buying engagements. Um, and then he hired me back on. So, yeah, he's actually, he, he owns Human Media, Human X, Human Staffing. Um, he's building a little empire over there, actually. I wanted to just clarify that real quick, because I, the next question I wanted to ask you is, about whether or not you consider yourself to be somewhat of a, like an entrepreneur when it comes to the human media group or human yeah. next. And I just wanted to kind of get into what the difference is there. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if you're just going to say, no, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur because you've done entrepreneurial yeah. stuff. It's just that you operate within human, human X or he, the human media group and you have a, a leadership in innovative role, yeah. right? But it's within that. Yeah. So that's why I thought like you might fit the mold of an entrepreneur. It's actually the stated objective this. of my employment there is to be an entrepreneur. So, oh. um, of course, I have to teach the course. But if you think about it, I have to innovate the course. I have to take. So I'm in a position where I have to take the learning that is occurring on the agency side of the business and formulate it in such a way that it can be consumed by trainees and then articulate it in such a way that it's not overwhelming. Um, and while I'm doing that, I'm also creating front-end products. Like I just created the seven-day copy challenge featuring ChatGPT, um, and we're offering that for free in all of our groups. So Modern Ad Buyers and the Ad Science Group. You can just go click on the link that I dropped in there, and you can get the seven-day copywriting challenge featuring ChatGPT for free. And I created that, pro that project by myself in an entrepreneurial type of spirit. Um, and yeah, in the whole, it's an ascension play. So people will get in there, they'll see the methodology, they'll see the quality of thought, um, and they'll see that even with AI, it's still time consuming to do this and do it well, and it will result in more agency um, engagements for human media. So yeah, I think that it's intended to be an entrepreneurial sort of role. Okay, good. I was because I was just second guessing myself there for a minute because it, it made me think that like you left and then he left and maybe you partnered together to start it. No, he, um, he's responsible I'm, for starting all that. Um, he was just very gracious in allowing me to come on board and hear the vision and believe in it and bring my own intellectual property into the scenario. And it's been great for all of us, I think. Nice. So what would you say is the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur if you had to explain it to somebody? Um, I mean, an entrepreneur shoulders all of the risk, right? So but you also get all the reward. So I guess that's a good scenario. An entrepreneur um, is, is um, hedged against risk because they're ultimately playing with someone else's money. Um, but it still allows you the, the leeway and the creativity to think forward and, and innovate and do all the things that you want to do. Um, you know, if I wanted to own an agency, I could, you know, I don't like selling. And so that's why I've never started my own agency. I just don't want to be on the phone with people. And to this day, if I take a private client, it's because they came to me and practically begged for me to take the business. I do not sell. I don't enjoy it at all. Um, so if I did, I would have my own agency and, you know, but working with Ashton allows me to not have to do that stuff I don't want to do, but still scratch the itch of creating 
and ideating and innovating. And so it's a good scenario for me, you know? Yeah. It seems like it suits you. Yeah. Because you still get to innovate, you still get to lead, but within the organization. So you have a little bit less freedom maybe than the entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but you also have less risk. Right. So yeah, that's, I think that's entrepreneur in a nutshell for sure. Um, so where can people find you? If uh, you mentioned the ad science group, that's a Facebook group that people should definitely check out because you drop value mm-hmm. in there every day. Yeah. I think. So, yeah, so go check yeah. out modern ad buyers. That's a Facebook group. If you're a media buyer, um, that's where you want to be. If you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to sort of leverage conversion marketing in your own business, I would direct you to the ad science Facebook group. Both are, they're both pretty much the same. I like to try to keep them separate because I teach a little differently depending upon whether you're an entrepreneur or a media buyer. Um, but you can find me there. Um, of course, the Um, you'll find the blog and a bunch of things on there that I write exclusively, um, which are going to be great for your understanding. Um, and, you know, I try to stay up on things and communicate a lot so that if you're reading that, if you have that feed in your feed reader, you're going to be well-versed on what's going on in the market. And then my personal website is adsdominance.com. And if you're looking to engage with me personally, you can find me there. So perfect. Yeah. And there's tons, tons of value there, especially with regards to marketing and media buying. And even like you said, kind of current topics almost um, with that, with that blog that I've seen you come out with a good bit on. So yeah, definitely get in on that. And I've seen you now on TikTok too, produ- produ- yeah, producing some short forms of content. Yeah, right? either conversion, conversion guy. underscore guy. You can also find me on TikTok. I would love that. I don't, for whatever reason, I don't think I understand organic social media as well as I do paid traffic because I'll make videos that I think are pretty informative and the crickets will be chirping, you know, but, um, but whatever, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. So come find me at conversion underscore guy. I think it is. I've seen, I've seen you making some cigar videos on there too. Yeah, that's one thing I'm passionate about. You know, I probably go, and we, we go to the same cigar bar. So, um, but I, I'm, I probably go up there three or four nights a week. And like, I'm an introvert. So I need, when I need to recharge, I can go sit in a corner and nobody's going to bother me, you know, and it's not going to be rowdy or rambunctious like a club and I can have my cigar. And, you know, I've been going there for over 10 years. So the wait staff know me. And, you know, I can just be left alone, basically. So that's what I do. Yeah. I've been going there for a while, too, but not as frequently as you. I've I've been going there probably for like five years, actually, now. It's been a while, but it's it's only like once or twice a month. But, yeah, it's a great spot. If you're in Jacksonville, check out Island Girl on Gate Parkway. Yeah, don't go to the other ones. (laughs) Gate um, Parkway is the best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um. So, yeah, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this podcast, marketing is a great place to start to, to learn if you don't know where to start. Marketing or sales, in my opinion, are kind of the front end of your business, and that's where you want to start. So check out what Jonathan's doing at the Human Media Group. They, they have some very impressive clients that I don't think they could tell you who they are, right? But, Most of it's on NDAs, um, but they, you would know them. Yeah, you would, you would know if you've been on the Internet in the last year, you would know who these people are. They run the ads for all the biggest names. So you're getting it straight from the true experts. So check out their stuff. Um, and guys, start there. 
make the leap from employee to entrepreneur, join me and Jonathan, or if you want to be an entrepreneur like Jonathan, also very cool stuff. And we will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Peace out.